The very first thing we need to do is to listen to the lyrics, these lyrics in Yiddish, and just absorb the sound. It may be hard to tell, but we can at least ask whether there's anything at all musical about the words, the language itself. If we don't know Yiddish, we might find the song rather delightful, but still can't figure out what it means. And that's where the translation comes in. Here are the words of the refrain in English. I am Avramil, the most gifted pickpocket, a brilliant artist. My work is light and sure. The first time I was jailed, as I remember it, came about because I'd swiped some bread. Oi, oi. I don't work markets like any common criminal. I filch from business magnets, stinking rich and venal. It's such a pleasure to steal from one of these. I am Avramil, a fine young man indeed. The song is Avramil, der Malvicher, translated as Abe the Pickpocket. And it's by Mordecai Gebirtig, a Yiddish poet and songwriter born in Krakow in 1877 and shot and killed by a Nazi guard. So this is a song about a thief, sung in Yiddish with the English translation provided. And it sets the stage for our meeting with Moshkala the thief, who for over a century hasn't really been met by anyone who could not read Yiddish. Moshkala was created in the mind and imagination of the great Yiddish writer Shalom Aleichem, who was born in Ukraine in 1859. And as we're told here by the Jewish Publication Society, he became the most widely read writer in the history of Yiddish literature by the end of the 19th century. Kurt Levyant has been delighting in Aleichem's stories since he was a lad, and we'll learn he was almost destined to translate Alechem's work into English. He reminds us we perhaps know something of Sholem Alechem's stories. He tells us films of Sholem Alechem's stories have been made in Russia, Poland, and the USA. One of the greatest Yiddish films he writes, Tevye, based on the beloved Derryman, starring and directed by Maurice Schwartz, was made in the United States in 1939 on a farm in Long Island. A musical adaptation of the Tevye stories, Fiddler on the Roof, a long-running hit on Broadway, was translated into other languages and performed around the world. The most recent revival of Fiddler, a translation back into Yiddish, staged at the National Yiddish Theater Volksbühne in New York, also became a popular success. What's wonderful is that Kurt Leviant is an award-winning author himself, a translator, a scholar, and an editor 
whose own novels have been translated into Hebrew and 10 European languages. And when he discovered that an important short novel by Sholem Aleichem had never been translated into English, he was determined to use his talents to make it possible for us to meet Moshkala and to enter his world. The results are being celebrated by reviewers far and wide. Moshkala the Thief, a rediscovered novel by Sholem Aleichem, translated from the Yiddish with an introduction by Kurt Leviant, has just been issued by the Jewish Publication Society. And happily for us, Kurt Leviant spends time in the WVIA listening area, and we had a chance to speak with him by phone about Sholem Aleichem and Moshkala the Thief and how they came into his life. How did you discover the beauties of literature and language? First of all, I grew up in a home. My parents were Russian-born. They were privately educated. They came from well-off families, and it was difficult to get into uh, high schools being a Jew in Russia. So they were very well privately educated. They, they came from families who were well-established, who could hire teachers to teach them uh, all subjects, math, science, Latin, Yiddish, Hebrew, etc. They grew up with uh, Yiddish and with Russian. And uh, so I grew up in a home in Brooklyn where my parents spoke uh, Yiddish, German, Russian, usually Russian above me, so I just know a little bit. It was the language behind, behind the curtains. But uh, Yiddish I grew up with, and I had a, an extensive Hebrew education, and the uh, books were all over the place. So uh, I could... I could almost jokingly say I learned to read before I learned to speak. Were those books in many different languages? Yeah, there were books in Russian, there were books in uh, Hebrew, there were books in English, there were books in German, Yiddish, of course. And it was, uh, it was my father's introducing me to Sholem Aleichem uh, that began my lifelong admiration and work with Sholem Aleichem's Yiddish stories into English. And I remember, I remember once my father saying to my mother, he says in Yiddish, He reads and he laughs all night long, because that was my first exposure to Shalom Aleichem's humor, and I was immediately taken by it. And what age would you have been then? Oh, I would say my mid-teens. And it was telling you of a world that you may have heard about, but you didn't know firsthand. No, I did not know firsthand. It was a world I was told about, indeed. But I also had exposures to that world, even from reading lots and lots of translations in English, and uh, meeting people as I was a kid growing up uh, who had experienced firsthand the uh, shtetl life, the life in the old country in the little towns where Jews resided. What about the musicality of language? Tell us about Yiddish as a language, and what are its strengths? How does it differ from English in terms of those beauties of tone or, or meaning? It's a, it's a fascinating question, but you know, I might say like when I teach my grandchildren uh, Yiddish and I ask a question and I say to one of them, uh, what does this mean? And she says, ich weiß nicht, I don't know. I might say, I don't know. But the point is that there is a musicality in, in every language, and it also depends on the speaker. Speakers of Yiddish, let's say from Lithuania vis-a-vis from the Ukraine, might have a slightly different rhythm, accent, or pronunciation, and even musicality in the way 
they speak. But Yiddish songs um, are universal. The same Yiddish songs would be sung in uh, in the Ukraine and Romania and uh, Latvia and Lithuania. So song, to a degree, also unites the language. Under Stalin's nose, and I still can't figure it out, he had been so active to repress Hebrew, Yiddish, Jewish culture. I don't know how these books somehow slipped by, but they were published, and I looked at all the texts. They were exactly the same. I decided to translate them. I was wondering where to send it. So my wife, Erica, says, look, don't you remember the Jewish Publication Society published your second novel, The Man Who Thought He Was Messiah? Why don't you try them? I followed her good advice. I proposed it to Barry Schwartz, the editor, and Joy Weinberg, the managing editor. They loved the idea, and they immediately told me to go ahead and put it through to its conclusion. And the book was published September 1st, Marshall the Thief, in conjunction with the University of Nebraska Press. And the English United Kingdom edition, Marshall the Thief, being published in London as well. And they did such a handsome job with the book itself. The cover is beautiful, the paper, the typeface, everything. Absolutely stunning, beautiful production. And they somehow, the JPS, the Jewish Publications Society, found an artist in Georgia, not down south, but in Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, and this artist, an absolute delight. He captured the spirit in vivid colors of the shtetl in which Mushkala the Thief resides. And of course, Mushkala the Thief is right on the cover on horseback, very elegantly attired. Very much so. I love the fact that the first chapter discusses thieves begins with names and phrases, language. That's how Alechum gets into this story. And we've already talked about the sense of the importance of language. This isn't the only place where Sholem Alechum calls attention to the importance of names, language. Well, in the, in the very beginning, uh, the thieves' argot is that they don't, they don't use the word thieving, they don't use the word stealing, they don't use the word... Uh, horse thieving, but they say, <clears throat> I whistled it out of the shed, or a pickpocket would be called uh, quick fingers or nimble fingers. So even even when dealing with uh, underworld lingo, Shamalechim somehow discovered how they speak amongst themselves, implying their trade. But one of the fascinating things is that Moshkele Ganev, or Moshkele the Thief, resents the fact that he's called a thief or a goddess. And when you read the book, you'll see there's never one instance where Moshkele has actually stolen a horse. His father, on the other hand, who's called Yoina, the prophet, why is he called the prophet? Because he can prophesize, he can see in advance where things have been stolen. So if a guy has had two horses stolen from his barn, he goes to... Uh, Moshkele, the thief's father, and says, Rabbi Yoyna, can you tell me where my horses are? He says, well, yeah. He says, if you give me 10 rubles, he said, um, I can find out where your horses are. So the, the guy who lost his horses tries to bargain with Yoyna, but Yoyna says, nope, it's 10. That'll be it. So he pays him 10. The next morning, the guy who had lost his two horses 
the day before, the next morning he finds those two horses back in his shed. Ah, uh-huh. well, you said somehow Alechim discovered this language. How did he come to understand these levels of society, these places he was writing about? I think we have to remember that he lived in a shtetl, and shtetl, the little town, had various levels of of societal groupings. So I'm sure he must have encountered. He was a very, Shalom Aleichem was a very curious man, loved to read and loved to learn. And I'm sure that in his going about always with a, with a pencil or a pen and pieces of paper in his pocket, I'm sure he got the societal levels which intrigued him and thereby learned what was going on. I think that's the only conclusion I can come to as to how he learned thieves argot. And we know that today people are interested in not just the heroes of stories or anti-heroes of stories, but they are also interested in women characters. And there is a daughter and there's a love story here as part of this tale. Yeah, there's the tavern keeper. The tavern keeper has uh, a wife and some daughters. We never know exactly how many, uh, but they serve beer and wine. And this is interesting that we see that in this wine cellar, in this tavern, Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, intermingle. Also, I think this is a kind of a first for Yiddish literature. And the, the young Gentile man, the Christian man who falls in love with the tavern keeper's daughter, Cyril, uh, here's another new character. For the first time, we see a fully developed non-Jew or Christian as a hero in a Yiddish novel. So there's a lot of groundbreaking work in Shalmanachim's Marshkele the Thief. Jews and Gentiles mingling uh, the roughneck like Marshkele himself, who defends the safety and honor of another woman tavern keeper who is being beaten by uh, Ivan Gurka, the Gentile who gets drunk and starts going into a rage when he drinks too much. And once Marshkele hears about this, he comes running, saves the uh, Jewish woman tavern keeper, and bloodies to a pope uh, this uh, Gentile, Ivan Kurka, who, strangely enough, the next day with a dozen eggs, comes looking for Moshke the thief, finds him, presents him with the eggs, and ever since then, the two become bosom pals. Another unique feature in Mashkel of the Thief by Shalom Aleichem, which we had never seen before in Yiddish literature. You observed in the introduction that Shalom Aleichem was influenced or inspired on some level, perhaps not consciously, but in some way by Nikolai Gogol and also Chekhov. Those are interesting observations for people who might know Russian literature. First of all, I think from Chekhov he gets the, 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 the sly humor the broad humor, the sort of broad humor, not the ha-ha-ha humor, but the broader good humor of Chekhov we see in, in Marshkele, the thief, the, the novel that we're discussing, and from Gogol, the uh, sly satire poking fun at uh, denizens of the shtetl uh, society, which we see in other, we don't see so much of that in Marshkele, the thief, but we see this in other works. But I want to tell you something very fascinating. In 1903, roughly the same year, 
that Shomalechem created Mashkala the thief and ran it, serialized it in the Warsaw Yiddish Daily, where the chapters appeared every Friday. That same year, earlier that year, there was this notorious pogrom in Kishinev, which compared to pogroms later in the 1918, 1920, where hundreds of thousands of people were killed, and of course, a prelude to what happened during World War II, the, the numbers were not very astounding, but the very fact that this happened was world-shaking. And Shalom Aleichem wanted to help the victims of the surviving people of this pogrom. He wrote a letter to both Chekhov and Tolstoy saying that he is assembling an anthology of writers and the proceeds of the sale of this book would help the victims of the pogrom. And he assured both Chekhov and Tolstoy that if you submit, if you're willing to submit a story, I myself personally translate your stories from the Russian into the Yiddish. And the good souls, Tolstoy and Chekhov, both followed Shalom Aleichem's request, submitted stories which he translated and included in his anthology, the proceeds of which went to the victims. Of course, he wouldn't turn to Dostoevsky. I don't remember if Dostoevsky was alive at that time, but he certainly would not have turned to Dostoevsky because Dostoevsky was known as quite a violent, vicious anti-Semite, contra to the decent Chekhov and Tolstoy. That says so much about Sholem Alechum, the person, as well as the writer, and knowing the power of literature. Did he think that literature had power? Did he believe that? Absolutely, absolutely. But I also wanted to interject that aside from the decency of Sholem Alechum, we see the heart, heartwarming decency of Chekhov and Tolstoy. So power can come, and it's a two-edged sword. You could have the viciousness of nasty, violent beliefs running through works. Hitler wrote his uh, Mein Kampf in the 21s where he used that famous phrase, the Vernichtung, the Jüdische Volke, the, the destruction or the eradication of the Jewish people, not realizing, of course, what it was to come to 20, exactly 20 years later. So you have literature for damaging purposes, or you have literature which uplifts, inspires, consoles, as we've had it in good works from the Bible on, through current works in poetry, literature, essays, journalism. In doing this, it's not just that you're giving us something from the past that is brought out and dusted off and opened up to new people. You must feel somehow, don't you, that it speaks to us today? Oh, sure. Every wonderful work of literature speaks to us today. It's like, it's like you have the radio or the TV or whatever on constantly. But of course, just like a, you can shut off the, the TV, you can close the book for a while and then come back. So just like the story that was serialized, you close the paper, you wait a week, and you open up the next issue. So, but literature, fascinating term that you've used, constantly speaks to us. Constantly even into the fact into your dream. Sometimes you could even dream about a work that you've read. And what is remarkable for us, too, is that you are not just a professor. You're not just a translator. You are a writer of fiction yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you have done and what you're doing right now. Well, I have 12 novels. I don't know whether I should say 12 or 13, because my 12th novel in English, that's the language I write in, 
It's a love story set in the Jewish ghetto of Venice. It's called Me, Mo, Mu, Ma, and Mad, and uh, it's shortcuts for the nicknames of some of the characters, and the title continues, or which will it be, Me and Mazal, or girl's name, Mazal, or Gila, another girl's name, or Gila and Me. I say 12 or 13 because I have a novel coming out only in French translation so far in France. It's called Dreaming is Living Too, she said. It has not yet appeared in English, but uh, this has happened to me before. I have a novel called Kafka's Son, which was first published in French translation as a kind of a follow-up to a novel that was published in this country, Diary of an Adulterous Woman, then it was taken in French translation and made such a hit and became a bestseller in France, got the greatest critical reviews that a writer could ever dream of. And so my French publisher says, do you have another novel? I says, yes, I've just completed one called Kafka Sun. He says, I'll take it. So Sight unseen? Sight unseen. But wait, <laughs> I have another story with Sight Unseen. So that came out and then it took me three years in this country, sending it to not 110, but 111 publishers. Finally, Zank, which published a couple of other novels of mine, took Kafka's son. This was such a fabulous story that it took years to publish a book, which was a hit in translation first, that I called up the Authors Guild, of which I'm a member. I told the editor of the Authors Guild Bulletin this story. She says, write it up. She says, this would make a fantastic story. So I wrote that up. But there's another fantastic story. Just about a year ago, just about a year ago, I get word from one of my publishers saying, there is a French publisher who's trying to contact you. Would you permit me to give him your email, or would you like to write to him directly? I said, well, I'll write to him directly. I write to him directly. This man, seven or eight or ten years after reading Diary of an Adulterous Woman in the French edition, and the Kafka son in French, he doesn't speak English, so we get broken Google Translate to communicate. But what was not broken was that this French publisher said to me, I love your work. I want to republish everything that has been published already, everything that has not yet been translated into French. I want to publish it in French, and I want to publish everything that you've written so far, even if it's not published. Where does this come from? I checked with my French agent. They said, the guy's a wonderful, reputable publisher. He said, you're very lucky. So he is bringing out, in one month, Diary of an Adulterous Woman, with the original cover, and... My new novel, Dreaming is Living Too, she said, only in French translation, never yet published. And I'm waiting for him. She said, I'm going to publish two of your books every year from now on. Go believe that. It makes us want very much to have a chance to return to the phone with you and talk to you about your novel. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak about Mushkila the Thief by Shalom Aleichem, translated by me. Kurt Leviant, award-winning author, translator, scholar, and editor, speaking about Moshkala, the Thief, a rediscovered novel by Sholem Aleichem, translated from the Yiddish with an introduction by Kurt Leviant, just issued by the Jewish Publication Society. It is the first English translation of Moshkala. 
Kurt Leviant has, as he explained, 12 or 13 novels of his own and many other translations he's published. His latest novel is Me, Mo, Mu, Ma, Maud, or Which Will It Be? Me and Mazal, or Gila and Me. The publication date is December 20th, this month, to be released by Livingston Press at the University of West Alabama. For more information about Moshkala the Thief, issued by the Jewish Publication Society, online at jps.org, and that stands for Jewish Publication Society, jps.org. Moshkala is spelled M-O-S-H-K-E-L-E-H. And Kurt Leviant, Leviant is spelled L-E-V-I-A-N-T. We spoke with Kurt Leviant from his home in the WVIA coverage area. He listens to the station when he is in the region.